Chapter twenty two of Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy by Anonymous. Chapter twenty two The Mutineers A Tale of the Sea there is scarce any one we apprehend who is in any considerable degree conversant with the shifting scenes of human existence who does not know that many of the plain narratives of common life possess an indescribable charm these unvarnished details of human weal and human woe coming right from the mint of nature decline the superfluous embellishments of art and in the absence of all borrowed lustre clearly demonstrate that they are adorned the most when unadorned they bear a most diametrical contrast to those figments of diseased fancy that nauseating romance about virgins betrothed and lady love which in so many instances elbow decency and common sense from the pages of our periodical literature as unwelcome guests it has frequently been said that sailors above every other class of men have irrepressible hankerings after the wild and wonderful certain it is that he who will sit on a ship's foresail of a bright moonlight evening will hear of hair-breadth escapes and perilous adventures no less chivalrous and incredible than those which cervantes and the biographer of baron munchausen have attributed to their respective heroes although the following incidents may excite no very thrilling interest they have at least the merit of truth the actors in this short drama are still on the stage ready to testify to this narrative of facts on the morning of the fourteenth of april eighteen twenty eight the ship gold hunter glided majestically out of the liverpool docks with fair wind and tide the mersey from liverpool to black rock a distance of about three miles was literally covered with vessels of every character and nation which had taken advantage of the fair wind to clear the harbour here might be seen the little french lugger carrying back to bordeaux what its fruit and brandy had bought as frisky in its motions as the nervous monsieur who commanded it at a little distance the square-shouldered antwerper sitting on the elevated poop of his galliot was enjoying with his crew a glorious smoke you could almost see them and that too without very keen optics put care into their tobacco pipes anxiety curled in fume over their heads a not unfrequent sight was the star-spangled banner floating in beauty over the bosom of the wave the serenity of the atmosphere the ever-changing brilliancy of the scene the tout ensemble were well calculated to excite the most pleasurable emotions everything seemed to give the most flattering assurances of a voyage of unruffled peacefulness this large squadron continued comparatively unbroken until it reached holyhead where such vessels as were bound for scotland or the north of ireland bore away from those which were bound down the channel the gold hunter whose destination was a port in the united states was of course in company with the latter class those on board of her very naturally felt great gratification in perceiving that she was not only the most splendid and graceful ship but the swiftest sailor in sight 
before we proceed farther however we must in some measure acquaint the reader with the inmates of the gold hunter notwithstanding she was one of those floating palaces yclept liverpool packets and the captain a finished gentleman and skilful navigator there were on this trip but two cabin passengers an irish gentleman who had a short time before sold his lieutenancy in the british army and his sister the former had been engaged in some of england's fiercest battles and won some of her brightest laurels the reason which induced him to dispose of his commission and forsake the hardships and honours of military life was a desire to visit some near relations who at an early period had emigrated to this country and who were now enjoying respectability and a competence it was for this object that mr kelly and his sister had taken passage in the gold hunter at the time of which we are now speaking it need hardly be said that they felt towards each other all that deep-toned and romantic affection which in so characteristic a manner pervades irish relationships the captain who was a man of fine feeling and cultivated intellect spent most of his leisure moments in their company and many an evening when the moonbeams played forth brightly on the rippling water and the bellying of the canvas seemed to assure them they were hastening to the tender embraces of those they loved would they sit together on the quarter-deck while miss kelly enhanced the brilliancy of the scene by singing some of those wild touching melodies which she had learned to warble on her own native hills thus time trod on flowers and the incidental privations and inconveniences of a sea-voyage were greatly mitigated nothing worthy of special notice occurred until about the twenty-fifth of april when mr kelly who was walking on the weather side of the main deck accidentally overheard the following conversation between three or four of the crew engaged in caulking the seams just under the lee of the long-boat i tell you once for all a cargo of silks and broadcloths ain't a going to do us any good without the ready cash ready cash why man how many times must i tell you that there is specie on board the old man has two or three thousand dollars and kelly has a bag of sovereigns or my eyes never saw salt water and the girl said a third voice which mr kelly knew to be the steward's and the girl did not jingle her bag for nothing the other day when she walked by me something there or my head's a ball of spun yarn kelly was transfixed with utter horror and amazement but fearful lest one might perceive him he crouched under the long-boat which afforded him a partial concealment in this situation he listened with breathless anxiety to the development of their plans so murderous that his very blood ran cold in his veins when the villains came to the blackest most awful portions of their scheme their voices were instinctively hushed into almost a whisper so that it was only the general outline that kelly could gather he found that it was their intention to wait until some dark dismal night when they would rush on the captain himself and sister and murder them in their beds rifle them of their money and take possession of the ship it was their design to spare the life of the mate whose services they needed as a navigator after having done all this they were to steer directly for the coast of africa where they hoped to dispose of the cargo to the negroes if successful they expected to carry thence to the west indies a load of slaves if not to abandon the ship entirely 
taking with them the specie and whatever light articles of value they conveniently could they anticipated no difficulty in introducing themselves into some of the settlements on the coast as shipwrecked mariners and as vessels frequently left the settlements for the united states they supposed they might procure a passage without exciting any suspicion kelly was a man of such imperturbable self-command that he found no difficulty in repressing every symptom which could indicate his knowledge of the diabolical conspiracy it was no part of his intention however to conceal anything from captain newton to the captain therefore he made an unreserved disclosure of all that had come to his knowledge at first they were at a loss what measure to take one thing they thought of the greatest importance which was to keep miss kelly in entire ignorance of what was transpiring on board some uncurbed outbreaking of alarm would be almost certain such was the excitability of her temperament this in their present situation might be attended with the most disastrous consequences the captain determined to eye with particular vigilance the motions of harmon who from the part he took in the conversation alluded to above appeared to be the ringleader here in order that the reader may fully understand the narrative it becomes necessary for us to make a very short digression the government of a ship is in the strictest sense of the term monarchical the captain holding undivided and absolute authority the relation he sustains to the sailor resembles very much that of the master to the slave consequently in order that this relation be not severed by the sailor even the faintest colour of insubordination must be promptly quelled if any master of a ship suffer a sailor to make an impertinent reply with impunity he immediately finds his authority prostrate and trampled upon and his most positive commands pertinaciously disregarded the day after that on which mr kelly had communicated the startling intelligence to the captain was somewhat squally the latter was standing on the weather side of the quarter-deck giving directions to the man at the helm who happened to be harmon respecting the steering of the ship luff luff keep her full and by mind your weather helm or she'll be all in the wind down with it or she'll be off i tell you if you don't steer the ship better i'll send you from the helm you don't keep her within three points of her course either way all this was said of course in a pretty authoritative tone and harmon impudently replied i can steer as well as you or any other man in the ship captain newton's philosophy was completely dashed by this daring answer and he immediately gave harmon a blow with his fist which harmon as promptly returned sprawling the captain on the deck harmon then deserted the helm leaving the ship to the mercy of the tempest and hurried forward to the foresail hoping there to entrench himself so firmly as to resist all attacks from without the captain as soon as he could recover from his amazement went to the cabin door and cried out mr kelly our lives are in danger will you assist me my dear sir to secure one of my men that cut-throat harmon we must blow up his scheme in the outset or we are gone kelly had too little coolness in his constitution to stop to discuss the matter when he knew that the life of a dear sister might depend on the issue he saw in a moment that the conspirators would take courage unless they were immediately overpowered he therefore instantly joined captain newton and they proceeded to the foresail together 
threats and commands had not virtue enough to bring harmon from his hiding-place some more effectual expedient must be resorted to accordingly brimstone was introduced into the numerous crevices of the foresail and the atmosphere rendered insufferable frantic with suffocation his eyes flashing with rage he brandished savagely a huge case-knife you newton and you kelly i swear that if i'm obliged to leave this foresail i'll sheath this knife in your breast you infernal tormentors like the chafed wounded maddened bull which his pursuers have surrounded and which is drawing close about him his dying strength for one last furious charge was harmon when kelly with most provoking coolness said harmon you shall leave that foresail or die there it soon became evident that he was making preparations to leave they therefore planted themselves firmly near the gangway through which alone he could possibly come out soon he bolted furiously through making as he passed a desperate plunge at captain newton with his enormous case knife had not mr kelly at this moment by a dexterous effort struck harmon's arm one more immortal spirit would have been disencumbered of this coil of mortality instead of this the villain was disarmed and his dangerous weapon danced about harmlessly on the top of the waves harmon was now powerless and they found no difficulty in putting irons upon him during the whole of this contest his associates did not dare to offer him the least assistance on the contrary each stood silently apart eyeing his neighbour with fear and distrust when mr kelly returned to the cabin he found that his sister had fainted away through terror volatile salts and the assurance that all her future fears would be entirely groundless had the effect of restoring her very speedily on the morning of the twenty-third of may charleston lighthouse was descried from the masthead not a remnant of apprehension lurked behind every pulse beat gladly anticipated joys filled every bosom it was not long before the revenue cutter from which floats the stripes and the stars was seen bounding over the billows towards the gold hunter she was soon alongside and after an interchange of salutations between the vessels the commander of the revenue cutter boarded the ship after many inquiries captain newton requested the united states officer to step into the cabin where he laid open all the circumstances connected with the abortive conspiracy captain morris said he i shall be obliged to call on you for assistance in bringing these men to punishment such as i can grant replied captain m is at your service but how shall we proceed put the men into irons and then i consign them to your safe keeping these intentions were announced on deck and if ever consternation and rueful dismay were depicted in human countenances it was in the case of those who had entered into the conspiracy but who till now had supposed that all their plans were enveloped in midnight secrecy manacles were put on them without difficulty and they soon found themselves secured lodged on board a united states vessel at the fall term of the supreme court of south carolina four men were arraigned on an indictment of mutiny on the high seas on board the ship gold hunter the evidence was so conclusive that all the ingenuity of the prisoner's counsel twist itself as it would could effect nothing 
the jury found a verdict of guilty without leaving their seats harmon was sentenced to the penitentiary five years the others four years each thus was a most dangerous indevotion frustrated End of chapter twenty two